afford to. Because they can't afford to. But to be to, for, for once, they're trying to land in their lap, essentially. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to make the most of it. But whether this transforms West Ham into a superpower, I don't know. That but that boat might have sailed. Will Chelsea go and build it? They're trying to build it. Yeah. But mm. they're getting priced at it because London is it's just ridiculous. And it's the same with St George's Park. Superpower is, is, is probably more they're moving with the times, Rory, than yeah, being a possibly, superpower. Yeah, yeah. They're just moving with everybody else. Everybody else is getting bigger, yeah. so they've got bigger. So, well, why not use it? If, it's, if it's there for, for whatever, the, for instance, why not use that opportunity? Yeah, if supporters from decades in history and past are going to be disappointed, but it's an opportunity there to go oh, to absolutely, the stadium yeah. of 60,000, yeah. you know, and, and the revenue. It's amazing, and Brilliant. it's in fair play to them. Yeah, good luck well, and that is where we have to end it. Thank you very much for this evening, Charlie Adam, Rory Smith and Steve Claridge. If you missed any of that two and a half hours of the Monday Night Club with the spe- uh, special last 20 minutes or so on West Ham, you'll be able to download it very shortly as a podcast. And for the final hour tonight on Five Live Sport before Phil Williams, it's all about the European football show. Plenty still to play for in Europe's top leagues and a few clubs were crowned champions at the weekend in dramatic circumstances. Uh, we'll do the Europe European Football Show after Richard Foster. On digital, online, smartphone and tablet. This is BBC Five Live. More than five years after the last evidence was heard, the findings of the inquiry into the Iraq war are to be published on the 6th of July. The inquiry's chairman, Sir John Chilcott, has faced criticism over the amount of time that it's taken. A senior member of the Islamic State group has been killed in an American airstrike in Iraq's Anbar province. The Pentagon has announced Abu Wahib died on Friday. An international coalition led by the US has been carrying out airstrikes on Iraq since 2014. DNA evidence has helped to jail a man for the murder of a 17-year-old called Melanie Road in Bath more than 30 years ago. Christopher Hampton was caught after his daughter was arrested over a minor incident and gave a DNA sample. Both sides in the debate on Britain's membership of the European Union have been focusing on security. David Cameron suggested that peace in Europe might be put at risk if voters decided to leave. Boris Johnson claimed the EU had accentuated divisions. And there's been another leak of what's known as the Panama Papers. A huge database of documents relating to more than 200,000 offshore accounts have now been posted online. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Richard. The sport headlines this evening. Uh, Chris Coleman has named uncapped Bristol City striker Wes Burns in his 29-man squad for Euro 2016 training camp in the Algarve. Andy Murray's looking for a new coach after a mutual split from Amelie Moresmo. And Johnny Bairstow hit 198. And Joe Root, 190 not out for Yorkshire on day two of their county championship match against Surrey. This is BBC Five Live on digital, online, smartphone and tablet. On the roads, M40 London bound in Buckinghamshire. There's been a serious accident with a car involved uh, between Junction 4 at High Wycombe, the Handy Cross roundabout, and Junction 2 at Beaconsfield. The road is actually closed there and traffic's queuing. M4 London bound in Berkshire. Recovery workers of a serious accident earlier on. It's at Junction 12 to turn for Thiel. One lane is closed there. Richard Foster, Five Live Travel. The fizz is being poured in Portsmouth. The bunting's going up in Glasgow. The biscuits are out in Belfast. And the costumes are on in Cardiff. The UK is getting ready for the Eurovision party. Download your scorecards and get ready to cheer on our boys, Joe and Jake. The grand final of the Eurovision Song Contest. Live from Stockholm, Saturday night at 8 on BBC One. Your in-depth look at football from across the continent. Bakamala shoots and scores! Robert Lewandowski! Ibrahimovic in possession now. Yilkay Dunko Kondogan. Little Messi with a check! Oh, that's wonderful! Oh. 
Plenty to get our teeth into on the European football show tonight as many of Europe's top leagues are going right down to the wire. Bayern may have wrapped things up in Germany, but that doesn't mean Guardiola gets a fond farewell as he heads to these shores. Claudio Ranieri's been named Italian Manager of the Year. We'll find out tonight how much love there is for the Leicester boss back home. And he's not the only Italian feeling the love as Luca Toni hangs up his boots and does it in style. Atleti drop out of the title race in Spain. Barca have a one-point lead over Real Madrid going into the final weekend. And we're speaking to one of the men who scuppered Ajax's title-winning weekend. We'll hear from Sven-Joran Eriksson on China's assault of European-based players. And we're live in Iceland as well as they uh, become the first country to name their Euro 2016 squad. So joining me for the next hour, three heavyweights of European football knowledge and punditry. Good evening to Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan Tutt. Evening to all of you. Hello. Uh, and Rob and Archie, there's only one of you saying hello. Hello. The other two of you are not bothered. Uh, uh, Rob and Archie, you were both in Germany at the weekend watching Munch and Gladbach, were you? I was indeed. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium, which is a concrete cauldron. It's quite incredible. 54,000 people pack in there and it's right on the outskirts of Mönchengladbach as well. But the thing about it is the atmosphere that they drum up in there is incredible. It's one of the best, you would say, not just in Germany, but probably in Europe that you could go to. So when the goal went in from Andre Hahn, which all but secures them their place in the Champions League qualification stages, I cannot describe to you how volcanic that <laughs> sound was. It was incredible. Uh, when uh, when Archie describes it as this concrete bowl, Rob, that, that, I don't think he's mean, meaning to be disparaging, is he? No, absolutely not. No, it's a wonderful, it's got a real charm to it as well, that stadium. And um, I think Gladbach love being back at the top table of European football. They have a great history with the European Cup and being back in the Champions League, they do have to get through the, the playoff round. Um, means an awful lot to their supporters as we saw at the weekend when they beat Leverkusen. Uh, we'll come back to Germany in just a moment. As far as, the, uh, as far as the two European finals are concerned, let's just do that first of all. All uh, Madrid affair for the Champions League final in Milan of course, Real against Atleti uh, and the Europa League final is Sevilla against Liverpool and that is in Basel uh, and Mina, the Spanish continue to dominate European competition. Yeah, we always talk about, you know, which leagues are the best and the Premier League is always the one that's mentioned, probably because of obviously the high commercial revenues and everyone wants to watch it so competitive. But when it comes to genuine technique, I really don't think we can look beyond the, what the Spanish produce. I think that we always talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona, but now we have to add Atletico Madrid to the mix. We have to look at those just below them in Valencia and Sevilla, the level of technique. The lack of um, money means so many of these squads have to innovate, have to look to different ideals, to producing the tactics, to producing the kind of ideas for a balanced squad. And that makes it very interesting. Also, when you're playing in that league, what I find interesting when you compare it to others is that every team you face has a different identity, has a different type of uh, style of play. So you're always being challenged. You're always being forced to do something different whether you're playing high-paced um, football or slow-intensity, organised teams, those who are vertical, those who are horizontal. Every day is a new challenge. So when you come to Europe, you know how to play because you've beaten some of the best teams in, in Spain. Just on that strength and depth of the Spanish <laughs> league there, I think it was interesting that Marca produced a graphic last week showing how many European finals between them that La Liga clubs have reached since the turn of the century. It's 23 now for La Liga clubs and the next closest is England on 14. So I realise that Sevilla probably make up <laughs> most of those, but that's still quite incredible. Uh, but that's um, just actually, just on Atleti, first of all, uh, Rob, would you, there's lots of 
discussion. In fact, we had it last week after after they got through against Bayern. Should they now be put in the bracket of Real and Barcelona and Bayern as the serial contenders for this competition? I think it's directly associated to however long Diego Simeone's there. Mm. Uh, he himself has said... Uh, and he's always, you know, pretty modest about how his side is smaller, in essence, than Real Madrid and Barcelona. He said recently, no, we're starting to arrive at that level. We are that team. And when you've reached, what is it, four European finals in the space of six years, um, you'd have to say so. But I do think it's directly correlated to how long Diego Simeone's there because, you know, his team are an exact manifestation of what he wants. And uh, they were wonderful, I thought, against Bayern over, over both legs. Whereas I suppose Sevilla have, have a structure in place that no matter, I mean, no matter who is their manager, but, but the, the, there is everything set up for whatever coach comes in, the recruitment and everything. It's well known how well Sevilla do. And that, that's borne out, I suppose, in the fact they're going for an unprecedented three in a row. Well, I guess so. they have a famed sporting director. They're wonderful at scouting great talent. Unai Emery just is another coach who understands how to work within that mechanism. Uh, but I think that what we've all wanted from Sevilla is a, is a team that uh, really challenged at the top. And when they made it to the Champions League, there was a genuine belief that maybe they could do something special. Sadly, they don't really have squad depth to contend with that kind of uh, competition. And Unai Emery came out and said afterwards that perhaps Europa League is where we are best at. Mm. Having said that, this is a team that hasn't won a single league game this season away from home. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure what you can say about that because when they are in, in, you know, in front of their own fans and playing their kind of football and, and being pushed by, by the ultras, then they are a magnificent team to watch. But away from home, they have had their troubles. But they know how to win the Europa League. And I think experience and confidence and mental fortitude is a huge thing in football, as, you, as we've seen recently. And the teams that have been knocked out have largely been ones that really don't know how to handle the pressure. So I think with Sevilla, they know that this is their tournament and they really believe that they reached the final. So they have a very great chance of finishing. They uh, might have gone a little bit further this season in the Champions League had they not been drawn in such a yeah. tough group. Yeah. I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Juventus and Manchester City, the, the, the last two there, obviously the strongest. But all <laughs> the same, that is not an easy group to get out of. Yeah, that's true. That's also very true. Uh, before Tarkot, we're going to focus on Germany and Italy then with Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan Tuss on the five live European football show. Let's do Germany first of all, then Bayern Munich have sealed their 25th Bundesliga title with a game to spare. So three titles in three years for Guardiola. But for many, that's not enough. Is there quite a lot of backbiting and recriminations at the moment, Archie? I'll, I'll tell you now as well, this is the debate everyone wants. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what we want to talk about. I think for that... hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> the word failure has been used quite a bit in terms of describing his time at Bayern Munich. I think that's unfair because I think that the way that he's raised the standards at Bayern Munich, but also in the Bundesliga, you look at how close Borussia Dortmund have got this season. If they win next week, Mark, they will be the fifth best side in terms of points in Bundesliga history. That's 53 years worth of football. And the fact that Guardiola has taken Bayern Munich to this level of consistency where the rest of the league just looks mediocre in comparison, I think that a lot has to speak for that. But the Champions League was always going to be the most important thing. 
But all the same, you look at the fine margins that you see in Champions League semi-finals. They played so well in that second leg against Atletico de Madrid. But the problem is those first legs, he got it tactically wrong three years in a row and he's paid for that. I think that he has the tactical flexibility to succeed at the highest level. But I think that part of the problem is he's almost got the wrong tactics at the wrong time. So I think he has all the tools to succeed at Manchester City. It is just a question of whether he manages to use it. It, it just at times, though, Rob, has, has never seemed particularly harmonious during these three years, whether it be the whole thing with the doctor and the medical staff, whether it be mm. the quotes in the last week or so about, the, well, in essence, there being a mole in the camp, <laughs> stuff being leaked out. I mean, I suppose then there might not be different to many football clubs, but it just it just seems quite odd. It's, he has a strange relationship, I think, one with the media. We won't see him do, doing many, if any, one-on-one interviews, if he possibly can. So that immediately um, built a different kind of relationship with the supporter who perhaps feels they can engage with the manager in that way. Also in his press conferences, you'll see him very animated. He can also get very, very angry. Um, and at times this season, you know, you, you speak to Bayern fans. I think, I think the general feeling, Archie might disagree with me here, is that it's respect but not love that they really respect and they've loved what he's done, but they haven't loved him uh, as an individual as they may have done with other coaches in the past. It just seems to me that everyone really dislikes a winner. But my problem with Pep and, and probably what I think everyone in Germany or some of them may be thinking is that he's brought Spanish ideals to a German club and to a German league. And I think what Jupp Heynckes did really well when he won the trouble is that he he gave them that German mentality that they were good from set pieces. They were so physical. They were so good at being quick and, and daring. And it seemed like they wanted the German way that fitting of a Bayern Munich side of a, of the Bundesliga but this what's happening now is they're playing Barcelona's style of football albeit a little bit more vertical by all means he's obviously tinkered and, and changed that and plays with the likes of Lewandowski up top but it just looks like he's trying to impose a different style of play uh, that from another country into a different league into a different league that has a proud history that has a proud national team and that for me I think for them they're just looking for him to lose they're looking for him to to do something wrong so they could be like ah you see we've got to stick to the German way and I think each each honestly speaking you want Manchester United you want Bayern Munich you want you know Barcelona Real Madrid you want Juventus to play their own way sort of mm. the Italian way if you're Juventus the Spanish way if you're Barcelona and, and so on and so forth but when you keep chopping and changing and trying to introduce something different it's nice and it's beautiful to watch but maybe you just feel like it doesn't fit You say the German way I don't <laughs> think that necessarily it does embody the German way it embodies the way that Germans think they play football or indeed want to play football and indeed the way that Bayern fans see themselves. They see themselves as wanting to play this fast attacking football and indeed having this kind of warm character who really accepts the kind of the Bayern way of doing things. And, and when I say Bayern way, I mean that in terms of the, the culture in Bavaria as well. And Pep just hasn't really been seen to buy into that mm. in the same way. And that's been a real problem. But the funny thing is, is that the way that Pep Guardiola is as a person and in the way that he wins with Bayern Munich in terms of in this cold, ruthless manner, it probably fits in exactly to the way that everyone else sees Bayern Munich in Germany who is <laughs> that, that is a great point <laughs> uh, but has he has he shown any adaptability do you think Rob in his time there to to the German way of doing things or the Bundesliga way of doing things because obviously one of the big discussions and, and you can go either way on this depending on your point of view but one of the big discussions in the build up to him coming here is how he will adapt 
to the English way of doing things or the Premier League way of doing things with games coming thick and fast, with the ex, you know, League Cups as well as FA Cups as well as Champions League if they get into the Champions League? Uh, I, th- I think when he first came to Bayern, I think there was a little bit of resistance from the players as well to the methods he wanted to bring in. And there was even little sly comments from the players in the press, you know, you know things like you don't need to have the ball all the time. These little suggestions mm. to Pep in direct messages, you know, maybe we can play our more traditional way and in particular the way we played under Jupp Pankers, which, as Mita said, was a very direct, uh, physical way. Um, but I think he has, what I actually think he's done is, in a, is an amalgamation of the two, is, is uh, what we saw in Spain and, and what he's learned from Germany. He talks about himself learning and wanting to come to England to learn uh, about new coaching methods. I don't think he's stubborn. I actually think he's fairly receptive to new ideas. I think just when he has them, he, he's not going to change them then. But is he receptive to new ideas or is he receptive to overcomplicating the matter? Because it seems like what he had in Barcelona was it was was a fairly you know efficient way of just you know there's the ten boxes you occupy all of those and then you move around. But it seems with with Bayern players sometimes don't know what to do when they lose possession of the ball and how quickly to get back into an organised fashion. And it looks like they have so many things going through their head that they get confused. And that's what's been really their downfall in Europe because I think defensively we saw this with with Barcelona when he was in charge and with Bayern now they they are quite shoddy and when you run at them they look scared. The, yeah, there was particularly against Juventus if we think when um, Morata I think just ran through the entire <laughs> no. team like, that was hilarious but I think I think um, I think you're right in a sense and um, I think what he also commented on a lot was the intelligent players like he said I mean he can be cute with his language as we know he can uh, pull out bizarre statements about every player but said Philip Lahm was the most intelligent player he's ever seen and perhaps he could be guilty of overcomplicating it and trying to make players play in a million positions um, but uh, ultimately they have ended up with, with three Bundesliga titles in a row. I think it will benefit though the Bayern players long term people talking about this whole has he succeeded at Bayern Munich you look at the way that he turned Philipp Lahm renowned as the world's best right back yeah. into one of the best midfielders in the world in terms of defensively and I think that he has really taken on these players overall but we talk here about his adaptability I think one of the big reasons that he's going to Manchester City is that he has such a key ally in a key position in Schick Shaky Bigirishtein. That really matters to him in terms of having the control in the club. And that's not something that he had at Bayern Munich. I think that that is a very attractive thing to him because he just demands control. And whether that's for the best, I yeah. don't know, because it actually, I think, sometimes requires collaboration on both parts for this success to come. He did wear the Lederhosen, by the way. <laughs> he did wear all the gear. So. And he did learn German. But, you know, we talk about how much he's improved certain players, and I agree with you there. And, and I think Alaba's another one. But I also think that he's perhaps a ruined in some careers as well in the form of Mario Götze I just think is just somebody he'll never depend on and um, or someone who seems to do very well for the German national team Benatia was a revelation as a defender back in the Italian league that's to do I think with in terms of him settling in Munich that that never really happened. As for Goetze, he never really wanted Goetze and this comes back to the adaptability of him in terms of he wanted Neymar in his team and he didn't get Neymar and so as a result, Goetze has never really quite been the man for him and he's, I wouldn't say he's sulked about it but he's just really not used him. <laughs> hey, if he, by the way, if he did wear the Lederhosen, does that mean he'll quite happily Pop on a Nolan Liam Parker and, and <laughs> go and go swaggering through Burnley. He'll be looking for the hacienda and all that. Excellent. He won't know what's going on. The guy will be very depressed if he tries <laughs> exactly. to find the hacienda. My goodness me, block of flats. Uh, right, a couple of other stories um, uh, from the Bundesliga. We don't mention Gladbach, Darmstadt. Uh, just uh, Archie, you do this. Just to, just to explain their 
their setup and how big a result it is that they that they will have another season in the Bundesliga. Their rise is remarkable. If we go back to 2013, they were about to get relegated. In fact, they did get relegated from the German third tier. However, that summer, they got a reprieve due to another team not having the correct licence. The following season, they went up in the relegation playoff for the third division in the 124th minute. They came into the second division last season on the smallest budget in the league, got promoted. And this season, no one gave them a hope of staying up. Their own president called them the smallest sausage in the Bundesliga. (laughs) And yet, and yet, we they aren't half going down some stereotypes tonight, <laughs> but anyhow, keep going. Well, it, it has been incredible. No one gave them a hope. I predicted them to finish bottom of the league. And there is a team in Germany called Tasmania Berlin back in the 60s who are renowned as the worst Bundesliga side ever. And Dirk Schuster, their coach, has said that most of the journalists were talking about them in those in, the, in that context. So for them to achieve survival is just incredible, particularly because they are on a budget of £12 million and they have been called the German Leicester for such is the way that they have overachieved. <laughs> um, and for all the romance of Darmstadt, you then need a sort of pantomime villain, I suppose, Rob, and that comes in the shape of RB Leipzig, who've been promoted to the Bundesliga. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they were a very small club on the um, outside of the city limits, actually, of Leipzig. And Red Bull came in and, and bought them and made them part of their, their franchise. So we've got Red Bull, Salzburg, and we have uh, uh, New York as well uh, in, in MLS. So they've they've chucked a load of money at them. Uh, they actually spent uh, eight million euros on a player to bring him down from the Bundesliga to Bundesliga Two in Davy Selka. A word on that player in a moment. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, but just to give you an idea that the, the, the Bundesliga couldn't believe this, that he was leaving from an established German Bundesliga, traditional Bundesliga club to drop down a league. They are now in the top flight and German football fans in general, I think it would be fair to say, have been fairly resistant to the that kind of ownership of a football club. Even teams like Bayer Leverkusen, who were traditionally a work team mm. of, uh, of Bayer the Pharmaceutical in Leverkusen. And Hoffenheim, a similar story, but not quite the same as as. as as Leipzig clubs. plastic clubs exactly <laughs> that's what they call them and uh, so like, RB Leipzig they've got I can't remember the exact things Archie the way they get Rasen around it ball. Yeah, oh, which the, yeah they've changed to mean grass ball. Like, even even isn't it's even their Red nickname ball. like uh, advertisement die rotten bullen. Yes, exactly Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, because the Bundesliga won't let them do that. They won't let them call them Red Bull uh, Leipzig, so they find ways around it. Uh, go on, quick one on that player then. Okay, so Davy Zelka, who arrived from Werder Bremen last summer, at the celebrations yesterday after they beat Karlsruhe, Zelka was chasing round coach Ralph Rangnick with a massive stein of, of beer and it just so happens that Rangnick pulled his hamstring while <laughs> Selka was chasing him he goes over on the floor and Selka still tips all the beer over him and then there's Rangnick just writhing about on the floor in absolute agony and Selka actually stayed out of the dressing room after full time saying that I'm not going back in the dressing room because he's going to kill me if I go back in. No, but the best really? is when he said I don't think he warmed up enough yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. Uh, let's move on to Italy then with uh, Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan touch on the European Football Show. Um, Claudio Ranieri is obviously the biggest story in this country. Is it similar in Italy, Mina? I mean, he's won the Italian Manager of the Year Award today, hasn't he? Yeah, the Enzo Bezzotto yeah. Award. And he donated the money to charity, which was uh, so kind of him. But I just love the fact that Italy's taken ownership of this entire story. They're calling it, you know, like, <laughs> this is us, we want it, you know, we show you what it's really like to have good management. We 
are great tactically speaking. It's one of our own. I don't think they've really recognised that it's a team effort. They think it's entirely <laughs> all about Claudio Ranieri. It was the first time in the Gazette that you had uh, sort of uh, an- the story of another team in another league taking centre stage. Everyone called him King Claudius after the emperor who conquered Eng- uh, England. And uh, they just uh, they just think, oh, he's always been the nearly man. He's always the kind guy, you know, the good guy that finishes last because we're so used to sort of, you know, tyrants winning in Italy, the likes of Antonio Conte, of course, Fabio Capello, Giovanni Trapattoni, and this is the, the nice guy. So it's a whole nice story. And of course, uh, as Italians always do, they always like to think that it's all them. <laughs> Will anybody try and tempt him back? Well, of course. Um, the the feeling is that he wants to retire with Leicester um, mm. because he he's probably have found has found the right club in the sense that there are no egos, there's a lot, lot less pressure, and he's trying right now to to keep it all sort of uh, to keep them all on their feet to say you know we're still Leicester City, we're not going to win the Champions League next season. But I think that at the moment with Antonio Conte leaving the Italian national team, a lot of them the the the, the FA would love to have Ranieri in charge to lead the Italian nationals, especially for his ability to build foundations for his ability to to really navigate tough waters and and work with a team and and get and bring up youth players and make them great. You saw him do that wonderfully well when he was even at the likes of Juventus when he brought up Claudio Marchisio and others. And he's he's a man who understands how to lay the foundation work, which is what Italy genuinely need. Whether or not he can be tempted, it seems highly unlikely, considering he now has a chance to take Leicester City to the Champions League. Still, didn't exactly work well with Greece, though. Well, no, that was... No, <laughs> no. It uh, didn't work well with many, to be honest. <laughs> um, on to Luca Toni, who has uh, said goodbye after after his 344th and last Serie A match, uh, playing for Hellas Verona uh, against Juventus. He went out in style, Mina. Yes, he really did. Um, I think it was quite fitting, actually, because he was a Juventus fan as a child. Uh, this was the last home game. He's top scorer for Hellas Verona, despite only being there for three seasons. They absolutely love him. And it was you know, the last home game. He wanted to, to leave it there rather than play the last one uh, against Palermo. He just thought that this was a, a good way to, to end his career. And, uh, of course, when you're facing the champions and you are a side that's already relegated everyone already sort of writes the stories of Allegri's another you know 27th win whatever it may be but um, he uh, he actually had they want they conceded a penalty Juventus and he stood in front of it and you could see him looking so nervous for someone who's such a journeyman who's so experienced he didn't know whether to go right or left you can hear everyone in the crowd shouting Luca Luca and uh, luckily he wasn't facing Gianluigi Buffon he was facing Norberto Neto who looked actually even probably more scared and he thought you know I'm just going to chip it I'm just going to go, I'll do a Penenka style and, and see what happens. And he did. And obviously he scored and the whole crowd erupted for him. And it was just a special moment because I think that this is really a case of a, a late bloomer, someone who really just came into into everyone's recognition at the age of 26. And then he's represented 15 different clubs. He's a he's a World Cup winner. He it was, is, there a lot, is there a lot of warmth towards him? And and is, that, is there partly that warmth towards him? Because actually he has played for most clubs in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> It is so that everyone everyone always talks about Italy as to how like Milan will send Inter and Inter will sell yeah. Juventus. Nobody really seems to care about the competitive edge over there. But it is that he's represented all clubs. Also because he is, as Gazetta rightly noted, the last of the great Italian centre forwards. You know, the the real, the, the man up front who knows how to hold up play, who has yeah. stature, who knows how to bring his teammates into the game. He's sort of that last one. If you look at right now, the team that Italy 
Italy has under Antonio Conte, there is no striker. I mean, there is no good striker that the kind that Italy used to produce. And it looks like he's the last one who who went abroad, won abroad, and and he, he just there's a great affection for him because it's almost like he also knew his time's over. He's gone injured. He's not playing. You know, unlike a, a certain other icon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Middlesbrough well, fans might say that hey. Massimo Macaroni, he went abroad to Middlesbrough. That's Famous true. UEFA yeah. Cup joy, and he's still plying his yeah. trade at Empoli, doing well. He is, and he's exceptional this season as well. <laughs> the, the point to make, uh, just just briefly on, on Luca Toni, in terms of some of the banners that were at the Bentagotti yesterday, they were tremendous. One of them said, clone him. Clone him was the best one. <laughs> and, and there was another one which said, make him deputy mayor, because he can't be the he can't be the mayor, because in the eyes of Hellas Verona, that would be Preben Elkia, who played in their famous 1985 Scudetto winning of team. Of course, that, that, was a, that was the Leicester City story. For, <laughs> that was, yeah, that, yeah. Um, you're alluding to Francesco Totti, are you? I'm assuming oh, with, your, with your slightly... Um, Indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I do, I do love him. Uh, sort of. <laughs> but he's at, the, he's at the other end of the spectrum. And and is what would you say? Would you describe it as still clinging on? Listen, we can say as much as we like because this is a guy that just refuses to accept the fact that he's about to turn 40, refuses to accept the fact that he's not really, you know, the Francesco Totti when he was 20. Having said that, I don't know what it means. To but be he's fair, only... he's not alone in that, is he? He's Mina? not. Really? In the... There are and a lot of men around seems... the world who try and cling on to the fact they're not about to turn 40. <laughs> yes, but I just find it rather ridiculous that when he scores a goal, that all these fans are crying in the stands and you're like, get over it, the guy's 40. But anyway, he, um, in his last six games, to his credit, he's played nine games in one, 31 minutes in another. It's like all, all in all about 138 games. He scored four goals, two assists. You know, that's not even including the amount of uh, amazing passes that he's delivered. So I will say every 22 minutes, he's actually created something for Roma, whether that be an assist or a goal. And that's truly exceptional for a player who is, as I always note, very, very old. But it just goes to show that class, you know, when he is being brought on as an impact sub, he knows how to change the game. If he's willing to accept that role, willing to accept that he cannot start Champions League matches, that he cannot be the man who takes on Real Madrid or whatever it may be. If he accepts that he is just really a token on the bench, then I think they can forge ahead. They do want to give him another year uh, contract, especially because from a commercial point of view, he brings in so many fans yeah. who just cry and take pictures. And <laughs> and um, and so on that level, they don't want to lose the kind of revenue that he brings. That, that, Does he think that he's bigger than the club, though? It seems that way because mm. I think that he he's... I felt like that way a little bit with Alessandro Del Piero. Juventus handled it a bit better because they came out and said, this is your last season, whether you like it or not. Sort of. A lot of people criticised them at the time for it. But it seems like Roma, the, the whole Totti story makes them seem like a small club. Because if you are so big, you should recognise, like Raul and Real Madrid, like Del Piero and Juventus, that people come to an age where they have to leave and you have to say goodbye because you want to produce better talent. They lost the likes of Eric Lamella at the time. They didn't believe in him growing up to be the next Totti. They're not even searching for the next Totti. And Spalletti is trying so hard to change the mentality in Roma, trying to create a team that's young and dynamic and one that can do so well in Europe. But they're all clinging on to nostalgia. They're all clinging on to this club symbol, this man who loves them and who stayed with them forever. Even though he comes out and says, I regret not going to Real Madrid, you know. So if they could just accept their position and, and really try to build for the future, I think it's better for them and, and that they have to let go. Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan Tutt on the European Football Show this Evening, another half hour to come, and then it's Phil Williams. Evening, Mark. David Cameron has spoken today that peace in Europe could be at risk if Britain votes for a Brexit. 
in the forthcoming June referendum. We'll ask General Sir Mike Jackson what he thinks of that, former head of the British Armed Forces, and he served in the Balkans during the crisis there in the 90s, which was one of the last times that peace in Europe was disrupted. I don't know if you've heard um, how upset Chelsea fans are at the way that they feel John Terry's been treated by the club. Frank Lampard shown the door after 13 years' service. John Terry's officially the longest-serving player. We're going to hear from the editor of the Chelsea Fanzine tonight, who, is tell us, who will tell us what plans are afoot for fans' protests at the weekend. Of course, John Terry won't be on the pitch, but that's not stopped him getting his kit on before, as we know. And uh, the chief exec of Combat Stress will tell us how Prince Harry's Invictus Games is helping soldiers across the world to tackle the stigmas around mental health and deal with issues that may have been brought about through extreme traumas whilst they're serving. That's all from 10.30. Thank you very much, Phil. Uh, in the next half hour of the European Football Show, we're going to talk to a man who denied Ajax the Dutch title at the weekend. He was born in Oldham. Here's Richard Foster with the BBC News. On digital, online, smartphone and tablet. This is BBC Five Live. The Chilcot report into the Iraq war will be published on the 6th of July. Relatives of the 179 British service personnel killed in the conflict will see it first. Sir John Chilcot began the study back in 2009. Here's our political correspondent, Vicky Young. There are many people who say this has taken far too long and it's far too important to have taken this amount of time because there are important lessons to be learned, not just about the lead-up into going into Iraq, but also the aftermath and whether there was enough preparation done for the post-conflict Iraq. The Pentagon says one of the Islamic State group's key leaders has been killed in an airstrike in Iraq. It claims Abu Wahib died in a raid on Friday in Anbar province, along with three other militants. An international coalition led by the US has been carrying out airstrikes on Iraq since 2014. A third man has been charged with a murder at a caravan site in Somerset. Wilfred Isaacs, who was 50, was killed at the site near Ilminster last Thursday night. John Broadway, who's 37, has been charged with his murder and the attempted murder of a second man. A father of three has been sentenced to life in prison for the murder of a teenage girl more than 30 years ago. Christopher Hampton pleaded guilty to killing Melanie Road as she made her way home from a nightclub in Bath in 1984. He'll serve at least 22 years. Here's Melanie's mum, Jean. I always said if I got hold of him, I'd strangle him or stick a knife into him, and that's how I felt. But I wouldn't even use my energy up on him. I feel that he should be shut, in, shut up in a dungeon like they used to in the olden days and just left to rot because he's not worth looking after. The Panama Papers affair has widened with information about more than 200,000 offshore accounts being posted online. They've shown how some wealthy people use offshore firms to evade tax and avoid sanctions. The papers belong to the Panama-based law firm Mossack Fonseca, which denies any wrongdoing. An official say the battle to contain the Canadian wildfires has reached a turning point, partly thanks to drizzle and favourable winds. A fifth of homes in the city of Fort McMurray have been destroyed and more than 80,000 people have been forced to leave. In the sport headlines, Gareth Bale has been left out of the Wales squad that will attend a pre-Euro 2016 training camp in the Algarve. That's obviously because he's got a Champions League final to prepare for with Real Madrid. Andy Murray's parted with coach Amelie Moresmo by mutual consent and uh, Great Britain's Georgia Ward and Matthew Lee have won bronze in the team event at the European Diving Championships. Five Live Breakfast. On Five Live Breakfast this morning, Alan Fletcher, better known as Dr Carl Kennedy, paid tribute to the Neighbours producer Reg Grundy, who's died age 92. It's an extraordinary career, really, just starting out in radio and game shows, of course, were his staple. Some of our iconic game shows were all Reg's. He was the king of the game show, really, mm. all around the world. In the 70s, 
Ben Adisi started producing drama and uh, Young Doctor's Restless Years, a Prisoner, of course. Our thoughts really go out to Joy, his beautiful wife Joy, who, of course, played a, uh, a character on Neighbours periodically through the life of the show as well. Five Live Breakfast. Weekday mornings from six. This is Five Live Sport with Mark Chapman. Welcome back to the European Football Show. Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan Tutt are the European experts this evening. And we're going to go to Holland first of all after Ajax dramatically failed to win their 34th Eredivisie title. They needed to beat the already relegated De Graafschap and they would win the league. But Rob Daly, what happened? Uh, yeah, they threw it away in quite a dramatic start because of a big difference in goal difference. Um, and Ajax and PSV were level on points. A win for Ajax and they'd win the title, done and dusted. But they went to De Graafschap, who were in the, the relegation playoff spot at the moment uh, in the Eredivisie. And they only drew 1-1. They did actually lead the game. PSV won their game 3-1 away at Pex Voller. Uh, and it meant that uh, for the second season running, uh, Philip Kroc, who was a Dutch champion with PSV Eindhoven and, uh, and a big slip up for Ajax right at the last. And what has been the fall? out for Ajax? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of criticism, I think, of, of Frank de Boer. Um, and, and you wonder where his next step is because he his his agent in the past few days has linked him with Valencia and Everton. And I can think of one reason why he might be picking those two clubs to name publicly in the press because they may be looking for coaches in the summer. Um, but the feeling in the Netherlands among some is that he has tactical limitations. Someone like Koku, who showed the resilience to be able to put a defensive team against Atletico in the Champions League, um, showed that he's a more versatile coach. And Frank de Boer, you just wonder if he's gone a bit stale in the Netherlands uh, and his next step is going to be very interesting. I don't think he'd he'd lose his job. It's just a matter of of what happens next with him personally. Uh, Let's bring in someone who was involved in the de Graaf Sharp uh, Ajax game and that's Andrew Driver, de Graaf Sharp's English midfielder. Evening, Andrew. Evening, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are the Ajax players afterwards, first of all? Um, I think as you'd probably expect um, there was a few guys that just collapsed um, were very disappointed and then there was a few guys that were angry um, as you would expect but um, it's, it's it's football the emotions were high and um, I think uh, the, the, the emotion of the day kind of got to them a little bit Because this wasn't meaningless for you was it? Um, well yeah it was actually we um we had uh, we've got a playoff game coming up on Friday, so and um, that was already secured. So for us, it was just um, a bit of pride. Uh, uh, a little story is um, one of our teammates' brothers played for PSV, so um, right. he, he had us he had us all week trying to get us up to the game. But when you when you have a playoff coming, I mean, you you want to go into that with some momentum, don't you? Yeah, I think. Um, the week before we played AZ and we got we got um, beat pretty badly, so um, we needed to get a little bit more confidence back. So um, obviously, in a game where there was absolutely no pressure on us, it was a it was a good situation for us. We couldn't we couldn't lose on the day, so yeah, we got a bit of confidence and um, we can use that momentum now going into the game on Friday. Uh, have some team members received uh, threats after that? That's what I've uh, has been reported. Is that true? Um, Apparently, the guy who scored the goal um, has had some threats from some some Ajax fans. Um, I can't I can't see it personally, but um, I'm I'm as much in the in the the clouds as you are. I, I don't really speak much of the language, so <laughs> I can't really read much of the media. <laughs> if somebody sent a threat to you, you'd be none the wiser then. 
Oh, no, that's the best thing. It's great now. I can, people can say what they want, and I'll never understand it. Are you? In- I, I, I think I played. I think I played great every weekend. No one would tell me otherwise. <laughs> Have you enjoyed it in the Eredivisie? Yeah, honestly, it's um, it's been a really, really good season. Um, it was frustrating to begin with, but um, going playing the places like in uh, like Ajax and PSV, and then. Even some of the smaller teams, all the stadiums are brand new and um, it's really well supported. So it's been a it's been a great experience for me. Is it somewhere you'd like to stay? Um, yeah, I think um, it's gone fairly well for me personally. So I'm hoping that um, if whether it be at the craft shop, some, um, I think um, I'd, I'd like to, to to carry on. I think the league suits me personally, and I think um, I've really enjoyed playing in it. Andrew, thank you very much for coming on this evening. Appreciate it. No problem. Cheers. Andrew thank Driver, you. De Graf Shop, uh, midfielder. Um, Rob, you were talking about De Boer and, and the clubs that he he may or may not have linked himself to, if you, mm. see, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, it, should there be more demand for Philip Koku? Possibly after this season. And I, I actually think, well, the, the best thing he's done is that Champions League run. The, the Dutch have suffered in recent years because their teams haven't performed well in the Europa League and Champions League. So their coefficient goes down. So then it gets harder to actually progress. It's like a catch-22 kind of situation. And I think what Koku did this season, getting through a, a Champions League group, having lost, remember, his two best players, Vinalton went to Newcastle and Manchester United stole the pie. They knocked yeah. out Manchester United with Depay in the team. And I thought he did very well. They took Atletico to penalties uh, in the end, in the round of 16. And given how um, other sides haven't done that <laughs> as they've gone on to reach the final, it's a wonderful achievement from Koku. Um, and I do wonder um, if this summer people will start looking at him and thinking, maybe he's the Dutch coach uh, we should be looking at and perhaps not De Boer. Far be it for me to disagree with you, but there might be some Manchester United fans who think PSV got the better... Got That's the very better, true as well. ...got yeah. the better part <laughs> of the deal. I, I, on current evidence, but there's still plenty of time to there improve. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favourite answers to a question then from Andrew Driver about not knowing whether he's been threatened or not because exactly, he doesn't know the yeah. language. And his wife is... I think his wife's from Texas as well, so I think neither of them know what's going on, to be honest. <laughs> no, because he did. He played for Houston, didn't he? He exactly, originally, originally right, started yeah. at Hearts yeah. and, and then, went to, uh, then went to Houston. Let's move on to... Or back to Spain. Spain, though, where um, Mina Atletico's Madrid title hopes went as they lost to La Liga's bottom club, Levante. So it's now a straight fight between Barcelona and Real Madrid, although you would still favour Barcelona. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to. They have a, a quite an easy game next time against Granada. They have, they've scored like a ridiculous amount of goals, uh, 26, I believe, mm. and uh, they haven't conceded any. They've got the belief back more than anything. They don't have anything to concentrate on um, until obviously the Copa del Rey final at the end. But right now they don't have Champions League. They can play their full team. What, what everyone was worried about at the time is it looked like their top three, that they're you know, their attackers were just exhausted yeah. at the time from all the travelling. But you would imagine now with, with only one win necessary that they'll do the job, especially when, with Luis Enrique in charge against obviously his arch rivals, Real Madrid, knowing very well that if he can just get the win against a team that's playing for nothing, it's most likely going to be theirs for the taking. Although they are being linked, aren't they, Archie, with, with various strikers or, or, or wide men around Europe who you would assume would be brought in to play second fiddle to those front three well, Hatem Ben Arfa is the ben first Arfa, of yeah. He's been pictured at the Camp Nou wearing his, his niece top. And I think that the way that Hatem Ben Arfa has played for Nice this season as well, it would be fantastic if he did get that move because he has carried that team to within a to, to within 
a chance now in, in their final game next week. They could still make that final Champions League spot. And he has been so crucial to to them this season, particularly that he scored some outstanding goals. If you can look up this goal he scored against Saint-Étienne earlier this season, where he just does one of these slalom runs that he became so famed for at Newcastle, very similar to that goal where he just ran from his own penalty box. He's just one of these players that particularly you'd want to watch him play with the likes yeah. of Lionel Messi, Neymar and Luis Suarez. They brought in Arda Turan. Do you really think that they'd ever play anyone other than their first three? Yeah, I, I, not first choice, but I think certainly they'd, they they need squad depth. And I think we saw that. They, it was sort of their undoing a little bit, I think, in the last stages of this season and even with that run where they had three defeats in a row I don't he think he wasn't Ar- even creating he wasn't even putting on any substitutions in that match against Valencia he uh, he, I don't think he had faith in them I don't think Arda Turan's is he the right fit I mean he probably wasn't the right fit I mean they took a key player away from Atletico but they brought in someone who doesn't fit I think someone like Ben Arthur probably does and for Newcastle and Hull fans listening you're probably thinking, what are you talking about? But this guy... I think, the, I think they most definitely are. Yeah, because yeah. I would even agree, despite his wonderful run. Is his attitude the right one? It's interesting hearing him talk because last year, because he played for Newcastle Reserves, the, or the under-21s, whatever we're calling it now, and Hull, he couldn't play for any club in the second half last season. So he went back to his hometown, he hung out with his friends, and he said for the first time in his life he could think clearly. And at Nice, he's found, as he put it himself, in a piece... And he plays like a player without any burden. Uh, he's lost all the weight. He's sharp as anything. He has a great relationship with the coach. They've given him a free role. He's sort of a number nine, false ninety type thing. And he just does whatever he wants. And he is killing teams on his own. And, you know, from Barcelona's point of view, he's free. You don't have to pay anything for him. He's only got a year contract. So why not? But all the, but all the stuff that he's rediscovered about himself in Nice... And and the stuff that he freed himself of that had come at Newcastle or Hull or, mm. or wherever could easily come back at Barcelona. Yeah, I suppose the wrong environment certainly would do that. And if he's not playing, if he doesn't feel a coach has faith in him, which perhaps he didn't feel at Newcastle and certainly didn't feel uh, during his very brief time at Hull, um, maybe that could come into effect. But the way he's talking is, is very mature. And I think that five months where he didn't play, he was playing futsal with his mates. I think it may be just put things into perspective for him. He's 29 now. He's not the young kid he was at Leon. Maybe thinks, I just have to cherish these moments because maybe I've got another three or four years in me. You see, what well, you know, there's always been links to the likes of Paul Pogba, for example, mm. and, and Barcelona always wanting him. And one of the main concerns for players such as Paul Pogba, who is so consistent and who plays all the time for Juventus, is that if he moves there, would he have to rotate with the likes of Rakitic or, or, or obviously, you know, mm. Iniesta? Mm. And would he really be given the star status? He loves being sort of a little bit like a big fish. I mean, it's already quite a big club and everything, obviously speaking. But my worry with Hatem Ben Alpha is that right now he has the total freedom to be the man in the squad. Very true. Everyone looks to him. Everyone, you know, passes him the ball. You could say he's the totti of his team. You know, that's what, what he is. So when he's going to Barcelona and he has to accept the fact that he is not the master and that he will have to be disciplined and sometimes play and sacrifice in roles that he doesn't want to... Is his attitude good enough? Is he mature enough to play for a team with that many expectations and a coach that's really not willing to to give people second chances? It's that attitude as well and how that rubs off on the team dynamic as well because if he starts sulking and that's not that's not the sort of player you want around your dressing room mm. or in at the club and can a club like Barcelona really afford that? Ibrahimovic, I think, back to with that as well. I mean, that really didn't work at all. Ibrahimovic at Barcelona because oh, yeah. of attitude. Uh, I just want to move on to Real Madrid quickly. Uh, did any of you see the Zidane effect coming at Real Madrid when he took over? Yes. <laughs> go, go on then, Mina. 
Sorry, the only reason is because they seem to hate Rafa Benitez so much yeah. that anyone coming in, whether it had been like, you know, whoever you would have put on, Nicki Minaj would have done something different. I, I don't know. It just seemed to be no, that she they has were... fairly progressive tactics. She does. <laughs> I was thinking of all the people to pull out of the hat there. I don't know. I just decided to go for something the most ludicrous <laughs> position. <laughs> but it just seemed to be that they hated the way that they, they were playing under him. There were all these snide comments made in the press about him. He kept insisting he plays attacking football because they can score 10 goals against bad opponents by all means it just seemed like they wanted to go back to anything that sort of reminded them of the great Carlo Ancelotti they were so devastated when he went at the time they really thought that he did and implemented a new style and gave them a clear identity and and I think that they felt that Zidane was the man who worked under him so that they were loyal to him obviously a man who's won so much as a player and he really has lifted the dressing room I think they're still void of, of a genuine identity they're still struggling to, to play a certain way so you see everything keeps changing one minute they're playing with Absolutely, possession football yeah. one minute they're, mm. they're really disciplined in defence but I, and he also when he tries to tinker and change the for, change the formations and introduce substitutes he says I'm just doing what I can I'm learning on the job he's very honest about what he's doing he's saying I'm not I, I'm actually learning on the job I'm not necessarily going to make all the right moves but I'm trying to do as best I can but the most important thing is that the players want to win for him and the players are doing it for him they have a special relationship with him and obviously with someone who's played there before who was second in charge after Ancelotti who, who they looked up to it's always going to be better mm. than Rafa yeah, Ronaldo as well in his uh, his TV interview before the Champions League uh, semi-final second leg against City, he put out the point very clearly and he didn't mention the ben- Benitez's name, but he said, we respect Zidane for what he's done as a player. And Ronaldo as a polit- political animal knows exactly what he's <laughs> doing with that kind of statement. Well, the funny thing as well was that didn't Ronaldo also say he also respects the opinion of the players? It's like, well, well when's it all ever been kind of the job of, <laughs> yeah, of the players exactly. to, to kind of give the manager orders? I think it says that Benitez didn't but, quite uh, appreciate that. I think that's what Carlo Ancelotti did so well, is that he was the kind of guy who would sit round with all these you know, veterans, all these guys like Sergio Ramos and Mondrić and sit them down and be like okay so what do you think about if we do this and that was something that you know Paolo Maldini used to always credit Ancelotti for the way that he used to always bring in his players and ask their opinions and genuinely want to do a group effort now this is interesting because this is what happened in Napoli now Rafa Benitez was uh, was obviously there didn't do as well as he was expected to and then Maurizio Sarri's taken over they're now in second place and one thing that everyone keeps crediting him for is the fact that he brings players in so he's asked Pepe Reina do you think I should change formations and Pepe Reina's like yes I think we should go into this formation because we seem to be better at this 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 it's that ability to talk to the players that Rafa Benitez seems to not do mm. he lacks that he doesn't really know how to communicate it's his ideas he's so detail orientated and for a team that has so much talent that needed a certain level of freedom it was never going to work but, but, it's, but, but sorry I was just going to say but it's also you, you talk about it, it's also the players having the willingness to listen to what the manager is saying as well and what, and what, what I think Archie you said there about or Rob said about uh, Zidane's uh, Ronaldo's comments yeah. about Zidane and Zidane being a former player. And actually, if you look at the so-called super clubs across Europe, they are all managed at the moment by former players, aren't they? Not necessarily of those clubs, but, you know, whether it be Luis Enrique, whether it be Zidane, whether it be Diego Simeone, whether it be Guardiola at Bayern Munich, who will be replaced by Ancelotti, who is a former player as well. Do you think the big European super clubs, more and Antonio Conte coming to, to mm. Chelsea after Juve and Italy, do you think they need to go more and more down former player routes to get the respect of these ridiculous sort of world superstars who are playing in the team? I, I mean, I'd, I'd really hope not. 
Um, because, I mean, if we look at someone like Jurgen Klopp, mm. I mean, he could he could certainly take over one of those super clubs. And I wonder, one day Bayern will probably try mm. and get Klopp. And also Jose Mourinho, who did have, you know, a, 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 we don't fully understand the relationship we, we had he had with Ronaldo at Real Madrid. But he was a player with uh, minor playing mm. experience. Um, but at the moment, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, all the top guys have, have done it at the top level. And... I suppose when players, you know, the thing I hear is um, you just have to let them play. Just let them play. They know what to do. Put an arm around them kind of thing. But I think it's probably a balance. But I think, Mark, I think that's what's important to note here is that those teams that are going for former players, I mean, if we just take out Real Madrid because we don't know if Zidane's going to last, nobody really lasts with this club. But mm. in general, these are all very well-run clubs. So whoever you take in and you put in, it always seems to work a little bit better because at the end of the day, a club structure is more powerful than anything that a one-man can do. I would say that Atletico and Cholos and Diego Simeone is, is somewhat of a different example. Yeah. This is a man who really resonates and understands the philosophy of this club but in general you saw the likes of Allegri failing at, at Milan but doing a stupendous job with Juventus you saw Conte sort of like suffering in Serie B at some stages doing well in others you know he, he didn't do an exceptional job when he was in charge of Atalanta but coming into Juventus coming into a club that's so well run using his energy I think that when you have directors that are close to you and you have the right players who are willing to listen to you then it doesn't really necessarily matter if you have uh, the great skills of Jose Mourinho or you were a former great player it's really about how much as a group unit you do so so all those clubs are so well run Nicki Minaj can manage any of them. <laughs> I'm never going to live this one down am I <laughs> uh, now there's obviously no doubt that the Europa, European leagues remain the most lucrative and attractive for footballers to ply their trade but should they be concerned by the rise of Chinese football in recent months Jackson Martinez Ramirez Alex Teixeira have all moved to the Chinese Super League for a combined total of £90 million. Can China then really compete against the big European leagues? The former England manager Sven Joran Eriksson manages in Shanghai and he thinks so. I think in the future they can. Uh, today the best clubs here can challenge many uh, leagues in Europe but not challenging Premier League or Bundesliga or the Spanish La Liga uh, and some others but some Dutch league, uh, Belgian league, Swedish, Scandinavian country, yes. The best teams here could, uh, could win one of these leagues, I'm and quite sure. Will there be more surprises, do you think, for, for people in Britain and in Europe in terms of the, the, the names who will come here? Uh, I don't know that, of course, but I think, yes. I think uh, huge players, big names is here, but I think next season maybe, maybe earlier, even bigger name or names will come. I think so, and the rumours saying that. Uh, so that would be even more exciting, of course. But if that's going to happen or not, I'm not sure. But the rumours saying there are that lots will of happen. Rumors, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, of course I think I may is. be coming back here to report on some of that. I mean, <laughs> yes. But I mean, just, I mean, you know, players like, and, I, and he's a player you know very well, Wayne Rooney, for example, his name has been linked with a lot of clubs in China. Is he the kind of player who would play well, well here, who would adapt well here? Is he the kind of name that the Chinese teams are looking for? I think so. I think uh, everybody, everybody would be happy if some club would take a name like that. Um, because, of course, he's a world-class player and world-class name, fa uh, the fame. So, but I can't see Rooney next season. I don't think so. I think he wants to... 
play another World Cup, for example. So I don't think so, but yes, the Chinese clubs, some of the Chinese clubs, they are looking for names like that. Archie, how do you think the, the big European clubs are dealing with the threat from China, if indeed they see it as a threat? I don't know whether they do see it as a as a threat, really. And I mean, it, it depends. When you say the big European clubs, are we talking about in, in the top five European leagues here? Yeah, yeah. I think that the fans' understanding of any player moving there is is going to be very small because the historical centre of of European football, the, the tradition that is held here, I just can't see why a, a player certainly from Europe would really want to move to China for anything else other than money. Mm. And whilst okay, I think it, it, it's not like we're in a uh, it, it's not like we're in a culture at the moment where where players are exactly moving merely just for kind of the tradition of clubs. Mm. But I don't think that it's it's entirely positive that that players are just going to move over there for that. But I mean, it's look, it, 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 I don't think that's anything new for us really. But I, I don't really see what more that they can offer apart from that at the moment. I don't know whether Wayne Rooney particularly, for example, would be attracted by the prospect of growing Chinese football. What really is it? Or what really is in it for them? And in terms of adapting to that new culture as well, that is a huge step for a player to take, no matter where they go. So it's it's difficult to really see it taking off immediately. And it, it is something that's going to take a lot of time. But whether that there is enough kind of patience with that with the money and the time is questionable it's weird because they're saying that by 2018 they predict that it's going to be sort of the third most watched league which i can't see happening because it's far too soon and uh, you see these old leagues with great legacies are not being watched as much as they used mm. to although having said that you know they are getting in more money and more players but i would think of anything great big clubs would love this idea i mean you take in a player he's not that great doesn't work out for you the likes of when uh, juan cuadrado at, at chelsea sell him off for 60 million and you make a packet well, jackson Martinez is an example. It's the prior, of a perfect example, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, I, I, you know, I think it's very interesting the way they're talking about the way they want to develop football and challenge for the World Cup in 15 years. But I think they're actually underestimating the, the filtered down effect of, of, of football knowledge. They, you know, you can coach a load of players; they'll be at a certain standard, but they won't have the technical standards. I don't think by the time 15 years to, to challenge for a World Cup. And I think it will become um, a selling ground for players that you don't want anymore. You, you take a superstar, maybe someone like Mario Balotelli, who is things stand exactly won't that. be staying at AC Milan, will he? They're not well, going to. Unless they get a bargain, they they are trying to. They are thinking of keeping him. Right. I okay. don't know whether it's more of a commercial thing or, but you know, he's got very few chances left. Exactly. You would have thought Liverpool would go. Well, there's somewhere we could try and recoup that 16 million pounds. Yeah. Th- in fact, the, the the European clubs will see it as commercial opportunities. Yeah. Exactly really. that. Exactly. A little bit like what PSG became. And this is a, they're a great example of a team that spent a lot of money but still can't really seem to get the right equation when it comes to big European competition. They're still never going to really be regarded as a great. Barcelona or as the great Bayern Munich and despite the fact that their commercial revenue trumps like hugely trumps it's close to 224 million I believe and and you would say oh well they're so publicly known that they're, they're all around the world but who really supports PSG as much as people would support the likes of United or, or Barcelona and Real Madrid it takes ages to build that kind of history that kind of attachment to a club and China's going to need a little bit more than 15 years I would believe. I think that Europe to China is just just going to become really the next step in the football transfer market food chain in the same way that Bundesliga clubs at the moment looking at the Premier League going well we milked £170 million out of them last summer and similarily if it doesn't quite work for them <laughs> <Absolutely, yeah. laughs> at a Premier League club but, they'll go well, but, next but to that, China but, 
but I tell you, that is a serious point, actually, in that the Premier League is viewed by some European leagues in the same way that they might start viewing oh, China. Oh, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's exactly the case now. I mean, and the Bundesliga is a great example because they look at, you know, you look at a player you've got and you go, well, you know, the transfers inside Germany are relatively small fees. I mean, talk about someone like Julian Weigel. Dortmund just signed for £2.5 million last summer. They're talking about him going to City for £30 million. He has been fantastic, but that's, that's inflation, not just on his quality yeah. as a player, but Premier League inflation. Uh, thank you very much to all three of you this evening. Really appreciate it. Mina Rizuki, Rob Daly and Archie Ryan Tutt on the European Football Show. If you've missed any of it, you'll be able to download it as a podcast shortly. And the same goes for the Monday Night Club this evening, uh, which is with Charlie Adam, uh, Steve Claridge and Rory Smith, it included that special tribute to the bowling ground, and that's where Five Life Sport comes from tomorrow night with Jonathan Overend in the chair and full commentary of West Ham's final game at the ground against Manchester United. Here's Phil. Thanks, Mark. This evening, David Cameron says peace in Europe could be threatened if Britain votes to leave the EU. We'll put that view to the former head of the British Army, General Sir Mike Jackson, with us very shortly. Uh, five past 11, we'll hear from Richard Conway on why China is intent on making football a big business over there and they're keen to sign players in their prime and not those who are just going for a twilight payday. First for breaking news and the best live sport. This is BBC Five Live. Good evening, 10.30 on Monday night. Phil Williams here with you on Five Live. This is the late news hour. And the main news on Five Live. More than five years on from the end of the Chilcot inquiry, a date set for its findings to be released. And in sport, Chris Coleman names the uncapped Wes Burns and his squad for a Wales training camp. Chelsea fans are preparing protests ahead of the next two games because they're upset at the way the club is treating John Terry, who's been shown the door and due to his red card at the weekend, will not play in either of those games. We'll speak to the editor of the Chelsea fanzine around 25 past 11. And if you want to hear from some more emotional football fans, James Corden's at the in short section of our website right now talking about West Ham's final game at the bowling. This is BBC Five Live. With the very latest BBC News on Five Live at 10.30, Stuart Clarkson. The findings of the inquiry into Britain's involvement in the Iraq war will be made public on the 6th of July. Its chairman, Sir John Chilcott, has faced criticism over the time it's taken. It's more than five years since the last evidence was heard. David Cameron is warning peace in Europe could be at risk if Britain votes to leave the European Union. Leave campaigner Boris Johnson says the EU's anti-democratic tendencies are a force for instability and alienation. The US military says a top leader of the Islamic State group in Iraq has been killed by an airstrike. It says Abu Wahib was killed, along with three others, when the vehicle was targeted in Anbar province on Friday. A third man's been charged with a murder at a caravan site in Somerset. 50-year-old Wilfred Isaacs was killed at the site near Ilminster last Thursday night. John Broadway, who's 37, has been charged with his murder and the attempted murder of a second man. And a man who sexually assaulted and stabbed a girl 32 years ago has been given a life sentence for her murder. 17-year-old Melanie Road was attacked in Bath in 1984. 64-year-old Christopher Hampton was caught last year after his daughter's DNA was found to partially match evidence found at the murder scene. That's the news. Let's get the headlines in sport tonight from Robin Cowan. Gareth Bale will miss Wales' upcoming training camp in the Algarve. The Real Madrid forward has been left out due to his involvement in the Champions League final. Chris Coleman has named the uncapped Bristol City striker Wes Burns in the 29-man squad. UEFA President Michel Platini has resigned after he failed to have his six-year ban from football overturned. 
Andy Murray is looking for a new coach after he mutually split with Amelie Moresmo. It comes just two weeks before the start of the French Open. Meanwhile, Heather Watson is through to the second round of the Italian Open in Rome after knocking out home favourite Sara Irani. England batsman Johnny Bairstow hit 198 and Joe Root 190 not out as they shared a club record fourth st- wicket stand of 372 for Yorkshire in the county championship game against Surrey. And British divers Georgia Ward and Matty Lee claimed t- team bronze on the opening night of the European Aquatics Championships in London. This is BBC Five Live on digital, online, smartphone and tablet. Well, after the sunshine, we've got outbreaks of rain for the south of England tonight. They'll move steadily northwards reaching Manchester by tomorrow.